Today's episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash deathdyingpod. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Today's episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things is also brought to you by BarkBox.com. Get one free extra month of BarkBox at getbarkbox.com slash deathdyingpod. You're listening to the Modern Horrors Podcast Network. Just a quick shout out to Daniel Smith for supporting the show on Patreon. It means a lot. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash death dying and other things. Any little bit helps. Now, on to the show. Last month, I told you the first part of a story. It involved the desert and some paranormal investigators, and a disappearance. And this month, I've got the second half of that story for you. While the first part dealt with great unknown spaces, large swaths of wilderness, and the nighttime playing tricks on you, this part turns inward to the home, and that moment when a home suddenly doesn't feel safe anymore. It's only happened to me a couple of times, and when it does, everything changes. Everything starts to feel unfamiliar, and sometimes you're driven out of the place for good. This month, on Death, Dying, and Other Things, a story about a highway on the fringes of the mind and the obsession it can cause. In A Highway on the Edge, Part 2, a man deals with the aftermath of the disappearance of his friend and colleague. Death and dying. The thresholds between this world and the next. The boundary between light and dark. The barrier between worlds. And that's where we're going. We are going into the shadows to bring you stories of horror and heartbreak. From the Modern Horrors Podcast Network, this is Death, Dying, and Other Things. I'm Justin Buskey. Stay with us. into my house um, a week after we last spoke. It's obvious who they are, I think. G-men, FBI, men in black, take your pick at the name, doesn't really matter to me. The ones responsible for what's happening out there, on the highway. We'll, uh, we'll get to them in a minute. I want to talk about what happened just after the sun rose. You know, just after Bob plummeted into the void and was pursued by something monstrous. Just after we watched Bob's heartbeat fade. Thanks, uh, by the way, for meeting me out here. I don't go uh, anywhere that won't have at least a few eyewitnesses if I go and uh, disappear 
I haven't been to my home in a week. So Bob had disappeared. The sun had risen high in the sky. It was noon, and we booked it out of there. Each of us, Randy, Jane, and I, drove our own cars. We left Bob's pickup there and made for the sheriff as quickly as we could. It was dusk by the time two sheriff's deputies, after much convincing from the three of us, joined us back at the site. Bob's pickup was gone when we returned, which added to the mystery, I guess. After walking around our camp for a few minutes, one of the deputies, the bigger one, taller than even Randy, turned to us and blurted out, When are y'all gonna stop coming up here? The second deputy, smaller, more reserved, slapped the first on his arm with the back of his hand and said, Yeah, leave them alone. How could they know? Then he turned to us and explained his partner was just sore because they get a lot of missing persons in that area of the desert. Normally they're not camping out there like we were. They just get lost on the highway and they and their vehicles disappear. I pressed him a little on this point. How many people? How often? But he wasn't very forthright with answers. Then Jane asked him if they ever find the people that go missing. The smaller deputy clammed up and the larger one stared at Jane for a few seconds, then shook his head. So what do we do now? I remember asking frustrated. The larger deputy looked at the smaller one, and then the smaller one explained that their department doesn't have quite enough resources for a search, and that we had better hope Bob stumbles out of the desert of his own accord. But the three of us knew that he wasn't in the desert. He was below it, and he probably wasn't going to be digging himself out of his own accord. Anyway, uh, back to the G-men. They showed up at my front door two days after I had returned home. They looked so stereotypical. Greased hair on one. The other one was bald. Black sunglasses, which they didn't even take off when they came inside after pushing past me when I opened the door. Both were taller than me, which I know isn't that great a feat. Pressed black suits shiny black shoes, closest shave money can buy. They sat me down on my couch, and then the bald one started grilling me, but not about the questions I assumed they'd want answers to. I anticipated questions like, who are you? What were you doing up there? Who else was up there with you? How can we reach them? But Baldy didn't ask anything like that. First question he asked me was, how much of the creature did you see? Which took me aback, if I'm being honest, and I told him as such. I wasn't even sure the thing we saw above the hole was a thing, you know? Not until he just came out and confirmed it. I had been telling myself for weeks that it had just been a trick of the light, um, or, I guess, a trick of the darkness. 
I think the other, uh, the other G-man, the one with the greasy hair, could see the change in my face. You know, I wasn't scared of these guys. You spend enough time in the circles I run with, and you hear enough about the men in black, it's like you've had your own run-ins with them, even when you haven't, you know? So I wasn't scared, and I made sure to wear that on my face. But when he just came out and told me that what we saw was some sort of creature. Anyway, when the greasy one saw my face go from outwardly stern to completely panicked, he pulled the ripcord, asked me if I wanted some coffee, if he could make me some, if I could show him around the kitchen. I got up and he followed me. The bald one stayed in the living room, waiting. I turned just before I passed the threshold and asked him if he'd also like a cup. He nodded his head once, and that was that. In the kitchen, I got the coffee grounds from the cabinet, and the greasy G-man filled the pot at the sink, then took the grounds from me and set the coffee machine running. He turned and leaned against the counter, trying to put on an air of casualness. He smiled, but the smile didn't reach his eyes. It didn't even really reach his cheeks. It was like the corners of his lips pushed themselves up his face without the assistance of any of the muscles underneath. He clapped his hands together and then asked me how long I'd been investigating the strange things I claimed to investigate. I told him that it had been a long time. That Bob and I had started together a decade and a half ago. I anticipated the next question he would ask would be the second question everyone always asks when they find out how long I've been doing this. Who pays you? How do you make any money? And I guess he kind of did ask that question. But his rephrasing, I think, pointed to the G-men's ultimate goal in their visit. Instead of, how do you make money, he asked me, who finances your operation? I'd never really thought of what we did as an operation, you know. It always felt so hard scrabble. But here was this G-man in my kitchen, making me coffee, lending my work legitimacy. It kind of inflated my ego, to be honest. I puffed out my chest. And then I told him that, really, no one funds it. Or another way to look at it would be that everyone funds it. He didn't quite understand, so I told him the entire operating budget of our operation, as he put it, came from crowdfunding on the internet. Kickstarter, GoFundMe, other sorts of donations. He let out a small laugh and then turned back to the coffee, pouring a cup for me and for himself, and a third cup that I assumed was for Baldy in the other room. He took a sip of his, and then he said something quite shocking. He said, I've looked at the majority of your other work. This is perhaps the first real thing you've ever investigated. If you want to remain alive, you will return to the other room with your coffee. You will answer my partner's questions and you will never mention this again.
you will hand over any material that may have survived. If you do these things, you will never see us again, and you can go back to convincing people that Bigfoot is real. Do you understand? I tried to take a casual sip of coffee and ended up choking. Then I nodded while coughing, and the corners of his mouth slithered up his cheeks again. I tried to suppress a shudder at the sight of his unnatural smile, but I couldn't, and then I walked back to the living room. The greasy G-man brought the extra cup of coffee for the bald one, which he took but then put down on the table in front of him and never picked back up. Greasy told me to sit, and I did, on the couch as far away from Baldy as I could, and I braced myself for his questions. I sipped my hot coffee, which calmed my nerves a bit. Something normal and real to hold on to. Black coffee. He only asked three questions. He again reiterated his first question, how much of the creature did you see? I answered, uh, as best I could. I didn't really see much of anything. It was so dark. It was just vague shapes. The suggestion of something big floating or flying. And then we saw that blob of darkness surrounded by all the other darkness plunge into the sinkhole that would eventually close up behind it. He remained silent when I finished my answer and remained silent and remained silent. I started back up again, explaining that I saw no detail, no definition. He remained silent, and then I understood. I didn't see any creature, I said. Good, said Greasy. Baldy asked his next question. All of your recordings and other evidence was destroyed. Yes. I said simply. Very good, said Greasy. Then Baldy asked his third question. Did the experience affect you or anyone else that was up there as far as you know? I misunderstood the question at first and started launching into a list of how fucked up I was since I saw Bob plunge into the abyss pursued by some monstrosity. I told them of how scared I was of the dark since I had been up there. How even with all the lights on in the house I have horrible nightmares. How everything I eat now tastes a little bit like pennies. How I'm so tired, but so, so scared to fall asleep. How even my own home doesn't feel safe anymore. Baldy stared at me, keeping quiet until he got the answer he wanted. I looked at Greasy, whose head was tilted up to the ceiling, either ignoring me and my answer, or frustrated I wasn't getting it. No, I said. Nobody was affected besides Bob. Right. Bob, Greasy said. I looked at the Greasy G-Man, and then back at the bald G-Man, who was standing up. 
when he was up, they both headed to the door. I stopped them and then asked plainly if they knew where Bob was. Asked them if they were hiding something from me. They both turned to face me. The corners of Greasy's mouth slithered up his cheeks. They both reached for their sunglasses and slid them off of their faces. Where their eyes should be, there were only pits, like someone had taken a melon baller and scooped each one of those fleshy balls out of their heads. Deep in each of those four holes, there was something small, moving, I couldn't look at it for very long, physically. I bent over and vomited straight onto the floor. And by the time I had composed myself and stood back up, the two G-men were gone and my front door was closed. When my head finally stopped swimming, I called Randy, who didn't pick up. Then I called Jane, who did, but only long enough to tell me not to call her again. I haven't talked to them since. To be honest, you are one of the only people I've talked to face to face since all of this happened. So, after the G-men, I laid low for a bit, but after a couple weeks I got antsy. I'm a truth teller, you know? And now, I had my own run-in with the men in black I could tell stories about. I went to the usual spots, ufosightings.com, walkingwithcryptids.com, Reddit, handful of others. All these sites have message boards that are just a treasure trove of information about what we do. From ghosts to aliens to Bigfoots to G-men. So I started posting. Our fans had actually started to get antsy as well, and were posting on these same sites trying to figure out what had happened to us. When I started updating them with all the new shit, They begged me to go bigger, make an episode of our series about it. But I thought that was probably a bit too high profile, and if anything was going to draw the G-men's attention back to me, that would be it. I'd been hard at work trying to recover anything I could off of our hard drives and other equipment. A couple of users on these sites offered to help, but at the end of three weeks... We had only managed to recover one last recording. Now, this recording is strange. I don't know what microphone would have picked this up. I don't know that a microphone even did pick this up. We had broken down and set up so many times while we were up there in the desert that it's really impossible to say for sure, even if we had a microphone set up at the time. And the file itself isn't any help. There's no metadata on it. 
nothing to indicate its origin or the date it found its way onto the hard drive, much less the time. This is actually when you reached out to me. You saw my posts on Reddit, right? I met with you shortly after we obtained this recording. I just didn't have the time to mention it last time. Anyway, put these in your ears, and I'll play the recording. That's Bob's voice, I think. I couldn't tell what he was saying, and neither could the other people from the internet that were helping me. At least at first. I must have listened to that thing a hundred times. And I can only imagine how many times the others listened to it. We worked on it. it must have been a week straight. At first I thought there was just too much noise. So we worked to reduce that. That didn't really work. There's a lot of noise in the recording. Sure. A lot of static, but working that angle didn't make the recording any clearer. Next, we tried to isolate the voice and boost it a bit. That kind of worked. We could hear pretty clearly what was being said, but a new problem arose. It was still nonsense. Here, take a listen. See? At this point, I was sure it was Bob. Now we just had to figure out what he was saying. So we posted that file on all the usual places, asking for anyone to take a listen and let us know if they recognized the language Bob was speaking. In a surprising twist, nobody did. We tried to transcribe what he was saying phonetically and then run that through a million different translators. Again, no dice. Finally, and I'm kind of ashamed I wasn't the one to crack this, but someone online had a stroke of genius. The audio wasn't in another language. It was scrambled. We had to cut the recording up and put it back together like a puzzle. So we did. And within a few hours we had this. You'll come here too. The fuck does that mean? I... I don't even know what to do anymore, to be honest. It's all gotten... so fucked up since the first time we met. Like I said, my house was ransacked. I came home and my door was open, 
Furniture was thrown all about. Couch cushions were sliced open. My mattress was torn apart. Drywall ripped down. They even took the head off of this little stuffed gray alien Bob bought me early in our career. That one hurt the most. Pretty much everything related to our investigation was taken or destroyed. All the recording equipment was gone, and most of the computers and hard drives were gone too. I just happened to be carrying the hard drive with that recording on it at the time. It was just a bit of dumb luck, really. I was visiting one of the volunteers who was helping me extract data from the dead drives. I haven't been back to my home for an extended period of time since. It doesn't even really feel like home anymore. I've been sleeping in my car mostly. I go home for only a couple minutes at a time to grab supplies or any of the equipment they were kind enough to leave behind or not destroy. You know, I'm gonna be honest. I kind of embraced this whole thing after I got my nerve back, posting online, ripping any data we could off of the hard drives, talking to you. I know they warned me not to. I miss Bob dearly. I miss Randy and Jane, too. But keeping them out of this keeps them safe. I never want to see those G-men again. Not their fake smiles and not their not eyes. You know, the sun's almost all the way behind the horizon. It's getting kind of dark. Do you still need those sunglasses? This episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things was produced and edited by me, Justin Buskey. The story, A Highway on the Edge, was written by me, too. You can follow me on Twitter, at Justin Buskey. Intro and outro music is by the prolific Eric Warnke. Check him out on SoundCloud. Special thanks to Dead Hard Drives and Empty Houses. Death, Dying, and Other Things is a member of the Modern Horrors Podcast Network. Check out all the other great shows. New episodes the first Thursday of every month. This has been Death, Dying, and Other Things, and I've been your host, Justin Buskey. Stay out of the shadows. Mm-hmm.